Welcome to Real History, shows what you know about history. On this podcast, we talk about historical movies and television, anything that claims to be based on a true story, and we check how bad did they mess it up? What was life actually like during that time period? Well, that's why we're here, to separate the real history from the real history. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I know a little bit about Viking history. And my name is Michael Tynan, and I shall be doing not much for this episode. I shall be sitting back and enjoying all Jacob's expertise on Marx. Uh, my name is Mark, and I'm very much the George Harrison to Jacob and Michael's Lennon and McCartney. Oh, beautiful. Lovely stuff. Uh, today, we're starting a very exciting multi-part series using the TV show Vikings Woo! as a jumping off point to discuss the entire Viking age it's a very ambitious tv show and we thought we'd match that ambition by digging into the many interesting characters and events of the european north between about 793 and 1066 thereabouts now as part of season three of real history we'll be doing three episodes on vikings the first one uh, which is the one you're listening to is one where we'll dive into everyday viking life a bit of myth busting and talking about the history up until the actual start of the viking age in the scandinavian region next episode we'll do a brief as brief as we can overview of the entire viking age kind of from start to finish and in the third episode, we'll be talking about some of the major characters from the TV show and their real-life counterparts, as well as the end of the Viking Age in more detail. And after that, we won't touch on the topic of Vikings again in Season 3, but there will be plenty more to talk about. So if this is of interest to you, uh, if this is a topic you're excited about, like I'm excited about, um, we may continue making episodes on Vikings in the future. So do let us know what you think. Um, just wanted to summarize that up top. But yeah, the TV show is Vikings. I'd say it's a, f it's a fairly popular show when it comes to historical television. I don't know, Michael, could you give us some of the basics on when it was made and so yeah, on? Yeah, I think you're right, because it managed six seasons. Uh, so, you know, that just shows that its popularity uh, kind of it was, it was sustained. And actually, just I think two days ago, a new series was released, Vikings Valhalla on Netflix, which I haven't seen yet. The original series, though, ran from 2013 to 2020. Um, it started off on the History Channel, of all things, you know. Um, <laughs> and then it sort of, I suppose it was when the History Channel was starting to put money into drama. They did something on pirates too, but I don't think... Black Sails? There no, you go. Was that, some, was that them? Yeah, I think that yeah. was them, Black Sails, yeah. You know, yeah. They, they, they knew what they were doing. Um, and But Vikings really did take off. Um, it was uh, created by Michael Hurst. So he's a, a screenwriter and a producer and... He was known for, I suppose, the Tudors and, you know, those two Elizabeth movies? The Elizabeth and Elizabeth the Golden Age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was uh, heavily involved in both of them. So, you know, he, he obviously uh, works largely in historical, mm. cons, uh, you know, areas. Um, in terms of the filming of it, it was filmed in Ireland, very close to where we are today, actually, uh, in Ashford Studios down in Wicklow. They, they, used, to, they used to have casting calls for extras just down the street from the office where we all met. Well, yeah. actually, I have a confession to make, gentlemen. <gasps> yeah, uh, a few years ago, I was real, real history I, exclusive. I, I just moved <laughs> back from our uh, to Ireland, and I was kind of 
I didn't realize that to find a job, you actually needed to put your CV on the internet at the time. <laughs> so I was doing that thing where you go around where did with you move, CVs. Where did you oh move back God. to Ireland from? The 19th century, was it? Or? <laughs> it was from France, but uh, it was a lot of uh, cloak and dagger work over there. So right, it was okay, not yeah. official, you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and I was on in much Temple like Bar. Much like Bjorn Ironsides, I believe, and <laughs> Rollo. Very much so, very much so. I loved their time in France. Uh, but yeah, no, I was up in Dublin that day, and I saw all these people queuing in Temple Bar, and I was like, oh, I'll give this a go. And then I saw it was Vikings, so I was like, okay. So I queued up for about an hour. I did a headshot. Uh, you know, I, they asked me, did I have any special skills? I said I was a shit butcher, because I grew up in a butcher shop, and I was rubbish at um, But... My problem, I think, was the lack of beard. Mm. You know, I just yeah. can't grow a beard, you know, uh, to my shame. Uh, so I never got a call back. So if anybody, uh, you know, the producers of Vikings Valhalla would like a second shot, I'm still available. You know, there's no issue there. I'm willing to I'm willing to come in for the second season. I what's, what's, I what's that contact email? Shows what you know. <laughs> shows what you know. Show at gmail.com. You know, you, know, you might have overlooked my genius the first time but i assure you i could be a great extra in a battle i i i don't know if you 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 haven't told us that before that's very interesting um well it's the beard thing you see i don't want to point out the fact that you know i'm in my 30s and i still haven't uh (laughs) you know reach puberty clearly you know okay Uh, yeah but uh, yeah it's it's an interesting fact though that there are loads of irish people in this show like both as extras and some of the actors because it's primarily filmed here obviously i i assume this went without saying but i am swedish uh i believe it comes up fairly often so i also have a vested sort of interest in this show (laughs) and it was filmed around the corner from here with like a lot of people from around here so a, a very a, a show that's very near and dear to our hearts not to mention the actual viking attacks on ireland and the enormous viking influence on the, the culture here as well which i'm sure and we'll it, get into and if you're if anybody is in ireland or ever visits ireland you can actually visit the viking village well you can see it at least whether if the gates open you can go down to it if the gates closed probably don't hop the fence i don't know it's well, private I would, properly i wouldn't advise it yeah yeah but it's in the wicklow mountains on the military road uh which is about you know half an hour from dublin i did stumble onto it once yeah. did, um, so we were we were ushered away very quickly by a very large man and a dog Hmm. There you go, yes. Uh, so Loch Tay, uh, and it's a beautiful area. It's in the shadow of Lugala Mountain. Um, and that's where they set up their little uh, Viking village, and they did a lot of the recording. They also recorded in later seasons in Canada and Norway too, um, obviously because we don't have many fjords in Ireland. you know. <laughs> um, and apart from that, yeah, uh, it's, it, uh, there are a couple of things stand out with you. First of all, the opening team. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's amazing. You know? It's by yeah. Fever Ray, the yeah. same. Yeah. I don't know if you know The Knife and the song Heartbeats, which is very popular, uh, and Jose Gonzalez made a cover of it, but it's the same, ah. same oh, yeah. lady doing the vocals in Fever Ray, uh, as in... Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. And I think it sets Swedish. the tone. The first time you watch that show, it really sets the tone. You know, it's yeah, dark. It it's If I Had a Heart, I think, is it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just think... Great, great song even if I haven't watched the show in a long time or whatever like that's still on the playlist yeah, you know that yeah, type yeah, of way yeah. um, and apart from that then cast look this is kind of it was a massive cast it ran for six seasons as mm. we said half of Ireland took part <laughs> in it at one stage yeah. um, but the main sort of characters you're talking about in the initial seasons anyway is um, for Ragnar Lothbrok you've got Travis Fimmel then for Lagerta you've got Catherine Winnick uh, Rollo, Clive Standen, 
Flocky Gustav Skarsgård. Skarsgård. Thank you. Do you now, have a, is he one of the related to the the, other, the famous Skarsgård? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skarsgård he's, brothers. Brothers. he's one of the brothers. Okay. Yeah, they're everywhere, and I mean, how he, many of them is there? Is there like five? Of them? <laughs> there's. I, I, I don't want to say for sure. There's four or five. Uh, there's and one then the, the father, obviously, is yeah, quite famous. Yeah, of the, of the brothers. There's one that's slightly less famous than the rest. But, you know, Bill and Gustav and Alexander. And then there's the other guy. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and yeah, the dad. So, But he brings so much to the show, uh, I think. Oh, he's one, the best, he's one of the best characters in it, for sure. And so he has a chaotic yeah. energy, a yeah. real kind of Jack Sparrow vibe. Yes. But a, a, a distinctly Nordic Jack Sparrow, you know? I love it. A great boat builder. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they they refer to him in later seasons. He's magic. He's a magic boat builder. Like, because the the show is sort of inferring that he's been inspired by the gods, mm. and that's how he's able to create the boats and stuff. It's cool. But he's always he always comes off like he's completely insane. Well, like I love, I love uh, similar to Ireland at this time, there's a lot of magic mushrooms going around. Oh yeah. You know? yeah so yeah, yeah. and very little else to do. You know. <laughs> so those combinations, you know, yeah. you will come up with some funny ideas. Yeah, um, and that's and also like I have to, we have to really be careful and partition off what we're going to talk about in these different different episodes because I was just about to launch into a bunch of stuff on like Norse mythology, etc. But that's a whole other episode on its own. So we're really trying to hone in on what we're chatting about here. But is that yeah? Anything else we want to say about the show? Its uh, cultural impact, what we thought about it when it came out? Any any random thoughts? Yeah, I I was. Um, this is a period of history that I have a, a sort of particular interest in being. A Dubliner uh, and Dublin being a, a Viking city, um, I've, I've sort of always been really, really interested in. It. And uh, so when I saw they were, I, when I saw they were making this, um, I was initially sort of uh, excited about it. But then when I saw it was the History Channel, I was like, oh, what? Why are the History Channel doing drama? I'm real against that. Like, you know, I hate when you turn on the History Channel and all they've got on the sh- on the on there is like <laughs> things that are nothing to do with history, ancient aliens, and all of this fucking. Pawn star stars and all this rubbish, like you know, yeah. and I thought it was going to be one of those things. But uh, like you were talking about Michael Hurst, I looked into who he was, and I was like, oh, maybe this would be good. So I did like it. It's not without its problems. This mm. show, you know, you know, uh, structurally, narratively, and some strange creative choices, I think. Um, but in general, I, I really enjoyed it. But I'm sort of a mark for this kind of a thing, like so. Yeah. It's kind of aimed at people like me, I think. You know, we're the target market again, lads. Yeah. 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 I also bumped into Catherine Winnick in Dublin Airport once. And uh, she's alarmingly small. It's like really, really quiet. She's like up to my chin. Mm. Like barely, barely. But like, you know, stunningly beautiful <laughs> at the same time, you know, and you're like, wow. But she's tiny. It was sh- I was shocked by how small she was. Anyway. <laughs> as far as the show, like when it came out, I think I had conflicting feelings because one thing about like living in Sweden is that some people are really into Vikings and all of that. So like Fred's abide would be so into it that it's almost like made me put me off it, you know, in that like it's an important part of our culture and heritage. And I think it's really cool. But then there's a, a bunch of neo-Nazis trying to appropriate all of the symbology related to it. And then there's B just big old Viking fanboys that makes me think that, it's a fucking nerdy thing to be into as well, kind of. <laughs> and so when the show was coming up and out and they called it Vikings, and at the time I had a real fucking... Uh, I was really annoyed by these one-word titles that, like, this felt like, oh, it's, very, it's as we said, ambitious. It's like, this is the show on Vikings. We're going to appropriate the whole word yeah, and make yeah. it our TV show. To be fair, in retrospect, I don't mind it because I think it very ambitiously tries to cover all of the Viking age, kind of. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. So I, I watched it when it came out and was kind of like, 
yeah, I I think I was like prejudiced against it, didn't want to like it. Uh, and I thought it was pretty good, but some people were so into it that it kind of put me off. And yeah. then now rewatching it, uh, rewatching the first couple of seasons to chat about it here, I'm like, this is actually a lot better than I remember just as a TV show and really interesting structurally because it doesn't have a standard season structure mm. really because it mm. kind of like feels like the first season should have ended at one point but then it kind of goes on for a bit yeah very much which so. makes it feel a bit more historical in a sense like it's chronicling events rather than and seeing how many events can we fit in a season rather than the other way around uh, but yeah loads of historical kind of inaccuracies but not necessarily ones that are like you know, they make sense for the show. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things um, where there's historical inaccuracies, but given the concepts of the show, there's there's nothing that I would say is really, really criminal. There's nothing really, really bad. Like, you know, this is not, it's not being made by Mel Gibson, you know, I mean, and it's it's not, it's also not saying this is a documentary, like, you know, it, it is taking elements. Mel all, missed all the trick there. He would have loved to have done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he probably would have, yeah. But, uh, like, I mean, it, it is trying to do a sort of... It's called Vikings, so like you say, it's trying to do the whole thing. It is trying to take the greatest hits, mm. sort of, with the Vikings, yeah. you know, which I think, I think fair enough for what they're trying to do. Yeah, and one thing that makes any inaccuracies more kind of palatable, in a sense, in that... And this kind of leads us into actually starting to talk about the history... The actual Vikings during the Viking Age, they didn't write shit down. Like, everyone kind of knows this. Like, I know it, it, we say history is written by the victors. In this case, history is written by the raided, the yeah, people who pillaged. were actually attacked <laughs> by the Viking. And that has led to them uh, over time being portrayed as violent and bloodthirsty. And it kind of enhanced their image, both in the past Very and now. So, yeah. It's made them really bombastic characters and i mean it's probably obvious to people listening <laughs> the people who lived in scandinavia were not all quote-unquote vikings by the common definition meaning like a pirate or a sea raider like it would be like thinking everyone in feudal japan was a ninja or everyone in the caribbean was a pirate i think people get that uh but it is interesting that we've decided this is the viking age like we don't call it the cowboy age yeah yeah however i i find that colloquially people will say like during samurai times or during the cowboy days yeah. and the viking age is actually what we've decided to call it uh so anyway the term's gotten so popular basically all of uh, it's applied to all Scandinavian people during this time period. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, there's a, an element of that is, is that the, the period of time it takes place in is, is sort of is sort of the end of the Dark Ages and the beginning of the medieval times. And one of the reasons why the Dark Ages in Europe are called the Dark Ages is the lack of the lack of sources that exists. Yeah, the lack it's of not writing. Like a, it's not like they had torches. Like, that's, yeah, I feel like yeah. people think that sometimes. Yeah, it's not it's like really, it's not like they suddenly forgot how to do everything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, like that's not what's going on. It's not like the Roman Empire collapsed and everything collapsed. It, it's much more uh, subtle uh, and, and long term than that. But but there is a, a dramatic drop off in the numbers of written sources, which is why it's dark, essentially. Yeah. You know, um, so because that's the case when you start to get lots of written accounts of a thing i think it's only natural that we would refer to the period as the viking age because it's the it's the it's the thing that's being written about with the few sources we have yeah and i wanted to talk briefly about sources just to give context on this so there's a few different ones that actually go into the age in detail so we have like 
the Icelandic sagas, and a saga is more a genre, really. It's not one work. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, like they, most of them take place in the period from about nine thirty to ten thirty, that hundred years, uh, which is called the Age of Saga in uh, sagas in Icelandic history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were written down, you know, eleven ninety to thirteen uh, twenty. So. Uh, hundreds of years later but interestingly they would sometimes exist as an oral tradition up to that mm, point yeah. before being written down uh, and then others are just purely fiction um there's also speaking of ireland there's this irish source i won't try to say the actual name but it means the war of the irish Colga. with the foreigners yeah. where is it Colgan. this one yeah i can't yeah, i can't see that's <laughs> hang on i'll make the font really it's the big it's it's the war of the irish with the foreigners yeah yeah yeah. and that describes brian brew's war against the vikings which was like late 900s early thousands as well which i have a lot of things to say about possibly a later episode (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. so that but that was also written in like the 1100s so 100 years after the events and that one would be very sort of political as well in that it's trying to legitimize the reign of the current kings by talking about how great they were beating off this uh or fighting off this threat from like a uh, hundred years before. Yeah. Uh, there's also one that's Danish uh, by Saxo Grammaticus, uh, which is a patriotic kind of Danish history that he's written around the 1200s. And that's also like certain parts of that has made its way into Hamlet and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and interestingly, like if you read like parts of it would be the loss of Denmark to the Swedes, as well as attempts to reclaim it with the help of giants and Odin. Like, that's the kind of sources <laughs> we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, and it also shows the rivalry of Sweden and Denmark goes back all the way to when we got help from giants and Odin to fight with each other. <laughs> um, and as, the last as, source, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> the last source I wanted to list out is also the, the Rus primary chronicle, which is, uh, you know, early history uh, the, of uh, Slavic peoples originally compiled in Kiev around the ele- early 1100s as well. And that also covers the period of like 850 to 1110. And it's about uh, the Varangians. The Varangians, um, yeah. Uh, who, you know, are basically Vikings, mostly yeah. Swedes, uh, who ruled over Kievan Rus and their settlements. Um the reasons I listed out these different sources is I want to emphasize that they were all written hundreds of years after the events. They're all Christian texts. Um, like the Scandinavian countries adopted Christianities in the late 900s to early thousands officially, though there would have been a transition period before mm-hmm. then. And a lot of them have like supernatural events in them. So this is kind of the sources we have to work with. And that is why we don't just go by texts, but rather archaeological history. Yes. And this is where... Uh, Viking history is interesting and medieval history in general because we can learn more over time like because that is an evolving field we find new sites and new technologies to explore it so we actually have learned a lot uh, in just the past couple of decades about what actually happened during the Viking Age definitely yeah so yeah a little bit on sources there I do want to go through a timeline kind of before the Viking Age I'm going to try to keep it brief (laughs) I know I, I haven't always in the past but Look, there may have been human inhabitation in Scandinavia before the latest Ice Age, Neanderthals, etc. We're not sure. Okay. Um, but essentially, it's only after the last Ice Age that there were people there, which means that there's even a term for like the Nordic Stone Age because it started later there than everywhere else right, because right. the ice was receding over a period of thousands of years. You know, the Ice Age didn't just end. <laughs> yeah. uh, so And we're doing like the switch. 
Turn on the turn on the light there. Yeah, <laughs> it's still receding, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. just to point out. <laughs> so a, a lot of parts of Denmark and Skåne, which is southern Sweden, and and the Norway coastline, they became free from ice around thirteen thousand BC. Um, but then you know it wasn't until seven thousand BC that all of the modern coastal regions uh, of northeastern Sweden were free of ice, and a lot of modern Sweden would be excuse me, underwater at the time because of glaciers when they yeah, retreat, okay. they, flood. The, they, they flood everything basically. So that makes a landscape, like Sweden are, and Finland are already have like an, a massive amount of lakes also mm. because of uh, glaciers and we have the Baltic Sea. Um, so there's a real, like boats would have been central to our culture yeah. early on because yes, of this, yeah, which yeah. is obviously logical, yeah. relevant. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I could I could talk about some different migration patterns very briefly. Like we we've analyzed geomes from uh, you know, remains to figure this out, but essentially there's uh two routes of migration, one coming from the south, another from the northeast like early on, and these groups would have met and mixed in Scandinavia and so genetically the population became became quite diverse from mm. that compared to like western European hunter gatherers that were a bit more stuck in one place. Um, so during this Nordic Stone Age, they would have used fire and boats and stone tools. And, you know, they there would have been hunter-gathering stuff going on. They'd follow the herds, the salmon runs, uh, and moving south during the winters and moving north during the summers, that sort of thing. Towards the end of the third millennium BC, uh, they were overrun by a new group, uh, which many scholars think spoke Proto-Indo-European. Right. And I find Proto-Indo-Europeans super interesting. I don't really know enough to talk about them in detail, but every time I start looking into it, I'm like, this is fascinating because it's like a reconstruction based on linguistics. Uh, I don't know if any of you want to say anything on it, but every time I'm like, this is so cool because there's so many shared cultural traits Mm. and like religious things between these groups that all potentially sprang from the same source yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a fascinating thing in, in when when you're looking at you were talking about genomes things like that when you look at like haplogroups and and uh when um geneticists and researchers and historians work out models for migrations it's, it's always really really fascinating to see things like the indo-european group because you can see similarities in cultural and linguistic terms as far as like the indian subcontinent sanskrit yeah like into iran in particular there, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh there's a lot of words that look like they're loan words that that are, you know make make their way into the into the iranian like into farsi and, and languages like that which then end up in european languages like it's it is really really fascinating like and you wonder like how 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 did migration happen why it happened what drew people in was it like was it like hunter gatherers chasing you know, chasing uh, deer or elk or whatever, you know. So all, all of that kind of stuff is, is pretty fascinating. The other thing I'd say about that is uh, the, the, the Scandinavian region uh, generally, um, in much later centuries, historians r- refer to that area as uh, one of several uh, things that are often called the womb of nations because hmm. a lot of European countries that exist now or nation states that we think of, ethnic identities that we think of, a lot of them have their origin 
in that part of Europe. Yeah. That's it's believed to be the origin point of various quote unquote Germanic tribes yeah. who, who later formed European countries. Ones that you'd you'd have heard of, like the Vandals and the Goths, the Swavi, the Franks, the Alamans, th- those kinds of groups. Lots of those people, it's it's thought uh, spring from the the area around Scandinavia and, and just and just to the east of that. What's now you know northern Germany and Poland. So not to go too far off topic, but just because you mentioned Indo-European language sets and uh, and, uh, I haven't looked into this too much. But if you're interested, the Basque people, I believe, are one of the only the Basque language is the only language, I think, in southern Europe anyway, that is not Indo-European. So people don't yeah. know who the hell the Basques are because were they here before the li- last Ice Age? Because their language isn't it's not related to any other one. Yeah. So anyway, that off is topic. interesting. And <laughs> a, I'll, to tie it back in, Finland the is Finns as well. Sami as well. Yeah, yeah Sami, yeah. um, which is you know uh, native Scandinavian people. Mm. Uh, so. They they wouldn't be of the same language uh, family, which is all really interesting. Now, I get very prickly about Scandinavian versus Nordic versus Swedish or whatever. Yeah. So just to be clear, Scandinavia <laughs> includes Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. Usually, I don't like using the term Scandinavian because if someone refers to me as like, "Oh, Jacob, he's Scandinavian," I'm like, "You fucking know where I'm from." <laughs> <Yeah>. It's <laughs> yeah. like these are different countries, but it actually makes a lot of sense in a Viking context because these were yes. the three countries that originated all of this. Finland is a, an important part of the Nordic sort of group, uh, but I, I don't know of many uh, Viking raids coming out of there. No, so. no, um, they're not Scandinavian. The yeah, Finns. they're yeah. Nordic, but not Scandinavian. Much like Iceland, which wasn't inhabited at the time. Yeah, we'll get. Yes. Well, we'll get there. Oh, yeah. we'll get there. So I'm going to rush ahead <laughs> through history. Like that was all uh, Stone Age type stuff. We go through a Bronze Age, you know, an advanced civilization in Denmark, parts of Sweden, parts of Norway. They make bronze tools and weapons and jewelry and artifacts, etc. Uh, they import bronze and gold because. Uh, they, you know, Why they, wouldn't you? Because, yeah. yeah, they don't have any of that. <laughs> yeah, they don't have that. Um, and, like, we also... we Oh, yeah, this is what I want to say. The Tacticus, um, Roman uh, source from about 98 AD, describes uh, a nation of Sweones, or similar, living on an island in the ocean. Yeah. And these Sweones had ships that were... <laughs> Peculiar because they had a prow at both ends, mm. the shape we recognize as Viking ships. And this shape is also super prevalent in Scandinavian uh, carvings from the time. So this is a thousand years before the Viking Age, but that kind of shape is still wow. is already like okay. associated with... And they would have been trading with the Romans and they would have been... The people from Scandinavia would have been mercenaries sometimes in in Roman... Uh, Roman yeah, I mean, Roman? when there's, there, there will have been at times migrations which we don't really know exactly where they are from but maybe to the south of Denmark so northern Germany more around there so I wouldn't necessarily say people who are Swedish Norwegian or Dan- or Danish in this or, or Finns to be Nordic in this period would have been mercenary soldiers in the Roman army at that point I would say probably not but certainly migrations of, of what the Romans would have referred to as Germans which is basically anyone to the north they yeah. just heard ah yeah they're Germans whatever um <laughs> So what we would call Germanic peoples, you know, to use the broad linguistic term, there is there is some speculation because of things like Tacitus, like J- Jacob just mentioned. Um, there is some theories that they might have come from the area that we would now call Sweden, Denmark, and Norway, but not not in terms of 
trading but in, in terms of mass migrations knocking into other tribes and then causing political chaos yeah we this we don't really have enough to say at this time period certainly later on they were definitely uh active in that though more like the byzantine oh they got well involved later yeah. on yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah so we get to a period essentially of mythical kings mm. like our our uh, favorite type yeah our equivalent yeah. of king arthur and it's funny because it's like this is the best sources we have like if you go on wikipedia and check out the royal line and go back far enough it's yeah. Yeah. Like, well, it's basically all we have written down. Uh, so, like, not not dissimilar to Ireland. It's the same here. Yeah. Once, once you get so, past points, you're so just the sources it. would be like mentioned in maybe the Saxo Grammaticus that mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, but also in things like Beowulf would yeah. reference these Scandinavian kings, and some of these were probably historical kings, but like with the note on sources that there were also fucking giants and things <laughs> knocking around, <laughs> serpents and sources. dragons and shit. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, kings at this time were warlords, so there were loads of petty kingdoms with changing borders, and it would have been hard to keep track. Even even at the time of yeah. who was what. So obviously now we can't really say that certainly. And probably some of the figures are amalgams of different people coming together. Certainly there will be, yeah. Which is very popular. But we do know that from around the year 600 uh, AD, uh, tillage is kind of increasing. So there is more woodland clearance taking place uh, in Norway. There's new herbs introduced and new fertilization methods that are adopted. And so yields of barley and oats increase. So society is getting a bit more uh, complex, we think, because there's these characteristic uh, burial mounds that start appearing from this time Mm. as well. It sort of suggests a new social organization and maybe a population increase as well yeah Yeah. and sort of the emergence of a political elite potentially uh all stuff we're restructuring a little bit but yeah um so yeah and and i mentioned about like importing bronze and gold like they they wouldn't have had like the technology to mine iron ore but there would have been deposits of like bog iron uh that could be exploited even as early as like the first century Mm. so they're using that to make uh, tools and weapons and so on even the nails in their ship to hold it together you know? mm. yeah. and so uh, I want to mention as well briefly like the big Viking hall that is definitely a thing that we know of uh, over time the large all purpose building that that was it's kind of gradually replaced by groupings of smaller buildings right, okay. as like a farm is separated out a little bit and this is actually still how how you know, in the countryside, the architecture looks where where I'm from, from rural Sweden. Like, um, but yeah, uh, as in, just, as in, you it would still be like a great hall sort of thing. No, I meant it? like that we more of a separation that right. happens now. Uh, rather. Like this is the granary, and this is the this building, and this is that building. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. the GAA center, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're coming Come up really, over <laughs> we're coming up really close to the Viking Age actually kicking off. Uh, we have a few different theories and thoughts on what could have caused that exactly. Like, why are, is there such an expansion of piracy and mercenary work and trade at one time? Um, we don't... Like, There's a th- there would have been theories about it's because of political unification, uh, like groups coming together and unifying, but, like, that's not really... Like, it doesn't really explain, because that was, like, an 11th century thing, really, that yeah. they really came together. Um, and that's important to bear in mind because the Viking Age would have been going on for a while. And there's, you know, another reason could be about population growth, like we were saying, uh, looking for greener pastures, which is certainly something we see in the show, the Viking, yeah. in the show Vikings. Um, looking for farmland in the show. That's a big, that's a big and, part of what he wants, part of you England. See it, you see it in the show too, uh, Jacob. It, like a lot of it, it's a summer activity. 
to be to, to go a Viking. You know, the rest of the time you are just a farmer. Yeah, generally. or yeah. a tradesman or whatever. Yeah, fisherman yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and yeah, like there would have been like objects of British or Irish origin found well before the Viking oh, raids. Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, sort of indicating trade, which is the reason that some people think there's potentially like a commercial reason, as in like some of the raids could have been to protect commercial uh, threats to their own commercial activities of yeah. trading and things like that. Um, there probably wa- it probably wouldn't have been because of a massive population boom, but it isn't like Norway in particular is not the easiest land to farm. Yeah, you don't farm that. <laughs> you don't farm that on your own. Like yeah. yeah, and even though the population wasn't like massively increasing, there could have been a lot of congestion <laughs> in certain areas, uh, so, which could be an argument for why like mm. th- there's not la- enough land here specifically. Sure, uh, let's go looking for more. Well, it's the old thing we always say. You know, the first son normally inherited the land, but uh, what do you do with the four other lads? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, w- there was like an er- there's an early record of a Viking incident uh, in Dorset in 787. But like, yeah, we're coming up on the actual... That was an accident. <laughs> uh, shipwreck. Well, there was a noble murder, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, so this kind of brings us up to the start. And I, I wondered if I could hand it over to you, Michael, if you wanted to talk a bit about sort of the, the technology that actually allowed them to go on this massive... Uh, series of expansionary raids over the course of the next hundred years there yeah well i suppose it's retracing a little bit of what we said like what's very important to to understand the push factors why they actually left their homeland um like a lot of it comes down to geography so you know we obviously we spoke about the land issues you know um but as well why were they such great maritime navigators you know and we kind of said it earlier but you know, if you look at Denmark, for example, it's a series of islands. So it just made sense, essentially, yeah. to get, go everywhere by boat because it was a lot easier. Um, like I, I was reading up, uh, like today, apparently, if you visit Denmark, it's just bridges everywhere. You'd never need to take a boat in your life again. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But at the time, everyone needed a boat. And obviously, if you're using something a lot, what happens? You get good at it. So the, this competitive kind of advantage just kind of took hold, you could argue. Um, and this was particularly in the 7th and 8th century. Um, and I suppose the, the Viking ship, the longship, is what we kind of have to look at. It's iconic. Everybody knows what it is. Um, and it is built for speed. Like, I, I suppose that's the easiest thing. We And we, it's very familiar. It's also built for a large capacity. You can carry a lot of people on it. Mm. You can carry loot on it as well. But you can also carry your weapons as well. Um and it's all about easy navigation. So it's about trying, can we, it's, it's, it's something that, it's a boat that can hug the coast, but it can equally go up river. Yeah. It can equally land on a beach. Which is a massive advantage to them. It just, in their, in Viking raids, one of the reasons why they're so successful in their raids, particularly early on, is you just can't predict where they're going to hit. Yeah. Because they just come up the rivers and hit your town. Around the village, bend. Around a bend, next thing. And you, you, like you can't militarily prepare every town and village in your in your land. You just you just don't have the organization or the manpower to do it. And next thing, the Vikings are on you. You know, so that's that fed their their the sort of the atmosphere of terror around. They could just strike whenever. And uh, yeah, and like I suppose the thing that you look at it, it, it and even if you play uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I don't want to. Which everyone should play. Great game. Right? Great game. But you know, you can. They had the advantage of the sail. You know, so they could obviously use the power of the wind to navigate them. But they also, when things 
when the wind didn't turn up, they could just switch to oars, you know? Yeah. So they it, it was a really versatile um, sort of ship. Uh, in terms of the technology behind it, it was, it was what's called a shallow draft ship, mm-hmm. which... Um, in a way, when I was reading about this, I was thinking of Air Max, Nike Air Max runners. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, explain. <laughs> yeah, um, and the reason for that is it's the the way that the the planks on the ship overlapped. Mm. Um, it basically created like an air cushion for the ship, and because it was had such a shallow hull, mm. it almost like kind of uh, almost had this air cushion, which meant that it could um, cut through. Uh, you know, it, it did it cut through the resistance of the water easily, so it was very very quick. Um, and I suppose the the whole thing with it is that this allowed it to sail up river. This allowed it to kind of go into onto the beach. But the main thing, and I, what really kind of interested me was what allowed Vikings more than anyone else to take risks. And obviously, you had the ho- oars and the sails. Okay, mm. but it's also that they they had tools. They had a sun compass, which uh, yeah, yeah, no, like so they had these things that allowed them. If you got lost, because that was your big fear. Yeah, if you're going out in a ship, you don't know where you're going. You especially nobody, in the open sea in the North Sea. Yeah, it's cold up there. Yeah, and you get blown off course. For example, mm. you know the great fear is you're never going to be able to get back. But they yeah. had a few simple kind of inventions that, for us, seem simple. But for at that time, they were revolutionary. Obviously. Um, and the first one, I suppose, is the sun compass. And it's just basically a circle with a pin in it, you know, which allowed them to read the position of the sun. And because of that, they could work out their position. So if they did get blown off course, OK, it's all right. We can get back to Sweden. We can get back to Norway. It's all right. So because of that, that allowed them to kind of take risks. So they could go, let's go a little bit further. Let's, you know, whereas other people might have fi- had a great fear. The other thing is they had this um, little orb okay um and this has actually been found now and it's um sort of a a thing that in thick fog they had this crystal which is made from icelandic scar is it it's called i think or something like that yeah but it's a type of material and you could even in the thickest fog you could hold it up to the sky and it kind of created a um a a solar spectrum so to speak and they could navigate their way out of fog using that and And this is this is in the very first episode of uh, vikings i believe as they're kind of showing ragnar as like why is he able to go further Further. he has these tools he got off a stranger in a pub or something it's like it's like a wanderer yeah a mysterious wanderer probably odin it is meant to be odin and you mentioned jacob the sagas and this this particular orb thing this was mentioned in the sagas and everybody thought it didn't exist but eventually they did actually find actually found it yeah um so now we know we have evidence for it you know uh so these i suppose all of these things coming together meant that the vikings weren't afraid to go to 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 explore new things as they were a curious lot they had they they could uh, it was a summer's day let's go basically and uh, i suppose that was the great advantage they had that's one of the interesting characteristics of ragnar as a main character in the show he's driven by curiosity yeah and which is a really compelling character trait to watch someone who yeah we'll go and raid and try to get money but we'll also be like this is interesting tell me more and like we'll always Mm. search for new things which is compelling. i want to go here why because no one's ever done it yeah Yeah. which is very viking it seems in retrospect um, I'd like to talk a little bit about like everyday Viking life because I think it's really interesting how our perception works versus what we actually know 
of the time and a lot of what our like modern perception is is kind of accurate and a lot of it is kind of things we've made up so i just want to clarify a couple of things starting with an eyewitness account from ahmad ibn fadlan um from the early 900s uh he was a, an emissary of the caliph of baghdad and he interacted a fair bit with uh people who were essentially vikings this would have been in sort of kiev uh, and roundabouts, uh, so so Vikings who went east rather than west, uh, and I'll just read out some of the descriptions that he wrote down. And this is not to pat myself on the back being Swedish, but he d- does start by saying, I have never seen more perfect physical specimens. <laughs> <laughs> Tall as date palms, blonde and ruddy, they wear neither tunics nor caftans, but the men uh, wear a garment which covers one side of the body and leaves a hand free. Each man has an axe, a sword, and a knife, and keeps each by him at all times. The swords are broad and grooved of a a Frankish sort. Uh, Every man is tattooed from finger nails to the neck uh, with dark green or green, blue, black, trees, figures, etc. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) He didn't say that. I said that. (laughs) and yeah, there's a there's a bit more. That's kind of the fi- one of the famous uh, quotes about describing what Vikings were actually like. But he spent some time with them and like uh, saw the traditional Viking uh, burning of a boat burial. Like yeah. that, his mm. record of that is kind of how it's portrayed in the show, and it's very close to what he's described. Um, there's only so many ways to burn a boat. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also says. Each woman wears either uh, on either breast a box of iron, silver, copper, or gold. The value of the box indicates the wealth of the husband. Each box has a ring from which uh, depends a knife. The women wear neck rings of gold and silver, uh, one for each 10,000 10, dirhams, which her husband is worth. Some women have many. Their most prized ornaments are beads of green glass uh, of the same make and ceramic objects one finds on their ships. They trade beads among themselves and they pay an exaggerated price for them, for they buy them uh, for a dirham apiece. They string them as necklaces for their women. Oh, okay. So the type of stuff, sorry, that you Bit might see in one of those sort of hippie shops today. <laughs> you know, Sounds like you it. get like five of them for a euro. <laughs> them lads, that would have been like a life's fortune. Yeah. Um... This line is great as well. They are the filthiest of God's creatures. (laughs) They have no modesty in defecation and urination, nor do they wash after after pollution from orgasm, nor do they wash their hands after eating. Thus, they are like wild asses. Now, I have some notes on this. I I believe uh, the Vikings were actually, relatively speaking to Western cultures, uh, quite cleanly. But uh, being from a Muslim culture where you ritually wash yourself five times a day. Especially this guy is from is from Baghdad during the Abbasid Caliphate. Like this is this is the Islamic golden age. And he is from Baghdad, which is one of the greatest cities in the world at this point like so his standard of hygiene probably a little bit higher than the, the, your, your average northern european it's possibly higher than ours 
today, you know? <laughs> could, in fact, could be, yeah. Though this description I'm going to read out just because I find it uh, kind of funny. And we see this in the show as well, specifically. He says, Every day they must wash their faces and heads, and they do this in the dirtiest and filthiest fashion possible. To wit, every morning a girl servant brings a great <laughs> basin of water. She offers this to her master, and he washes his hands and face and his hair. He washes it and combs it out with a comb in the water. Then he blows his nose and spits into the basin. When he has finished, the servant carries the basin to the next person, who does likewise. She carries the basin thus to all of the household in turn, and each blows his nose, spits, and washes his face and hair in it. Now, okay, so, uh, (laughs) this sounds bad, guys. I know this sounds bad, uh, but I think this could, or not me, I, I didn't research it, but one note is that, like, this could have to do with the Islamic faith, which requires you to only wash in running water or water poured from a container so that the the rinsings don't touch the the bather. So quite probably they would have emptied out the bowl between them, but from his point of view, it is still mm. dirtied by it. Like, it sounds disgusting the way he describes yeah. it. Maybe that's how it happened, but they could have emptied it out, refilled They do each- show that in the show. They, they do, do show exactly. Doing that, yeah. But he, if they emptied it out, he would still have thought it was, like, it was the dirtiest awful, thing imaginable. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to be fair, you know, it's not the greatest thing. But, I doubt yeah. he was very popular with the Vikings. You know, they probably invited him in for dinner and he was just giving out the whole time. He was, he was probably like, all, all smiles. Uh, yeah. And then he went home and wrote in his diary like these, these pigs, people. his blog posts just destroyed. Yeah, but them. they were probably more like, so tell me about the rivers in the area. Yeah, from yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the Black Sea? Is That's there? a lovely gold ring you have. Mm. <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that silk I see you're wearing? <laughs> so honestly, like the, the conception of Vikings as unclean, it's you know potentially a big misconception about vikings because if you like archaeological finds there'll be tweezers combs nail cleaners ear cleaners toothpicks all these things and, and, and in, in sources from the from what's now the uk there's contradictory sources to that i think i might in, have that that uh they were described by uh john of Wallingford, uh, that's kind of the 1200s, but he described them that uh, in the habit of combing their hair every day, to bathe every Saturday, ch- to change their clothes frequently, and to draw attention to themselves by means of many such frivolous whims. In this way, <laughs> sorry, this is just so funny. In this way, they sieged the married women's virtue and persuaded the daughters of every nobleman to become their mistresses. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> So contradictory, indeed. I heard. Uh, I don't know if this is true. I didn't get. Uh, I didn't look too much into it, but I heard also that the Vikings are responsible for the comb. So thank you, Vikings. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know about combs elsewhere, but they certainly had their own. They were. They're often found. Yeah. It is one of the most found uh, items archaeologically. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, when it comes to this, like I've read different descriptions of the styles and clothes, and I'm not gonna like bore you with details, but it's. You know, uh, it's not all the stereotypical Viking that you see. You can find a lot of interesting reconstructions and illustrations mm. of what would they have worn, what were mm. the hairstyles like. I, I saw some description of it was likely that the men would have had long fringes up front, but then kind of shaved at the back of the head. Yeah. Uh, so kind of an, a backwards uh, mullet, in a sense. And it was described by in one uh, Old English letter, uh, he was admonishing his brother for uh, to follow the Anglo-Saxon practice and not to give in to, quote, Danish fashion with a shaved neck and blinded eyes, yeah. probably meaning a long fringe yeah. to cover his eyes there. Your man just, he just wanted a cool hairstyle. 
Yeah, yeah it was, exactly. Uh, yeah, it, that's like in 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 the late Western Roman Empire. There's a similar thing about about uh, um, older men complaining that young guys were growing long mustaches, like the barbarians. Like the yeah. you look like a German with your long hair and your mustache, but that was cool. <laughs> you know, that was the cool hairstyle. You know, so it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to mention it. Everyone knows this one. They didn't have horns on their helmets, like you said. Um, but I think it's interesting to sort of trace where uh, this sort of concept came from. Mm. Uh, like, this would have had a lot to do with, uh, like, later day national romantic ideas blending sort of Viking Age with the Bronze Age I was talking about earlier, like, and, and like, basically mushing them all together because uh, there would have been, like, in carvings from the Bronze Age, there would have been uh, illustrations of people with horns, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, and potentially some helmets that had protrusions that could have been horns, maybe. It wouldn't have been common, but, like... Stick a couple of antlers in there, see what yeah. happens. And you sometimes see depictions of uh, Germanic warriors um, from, from like, um, Renaissance paintings based on based on classical uh, um, sources and they sometimes have like wings on their helmet and horns on their helmet and stuff so it might be an allusion to that as well like it might be that kind of looking back to those kind of renaissance paintings absolutely because there's even like this uh, period of time described as kind of the Viking revival when there was a huge burst of interest in this period of time so during the 1500s 1600s people were doing actual like serious historical scholarship work on Vikings for the first time and these grew Increase in Sweden, uh, Sweden as well as uh, other oh, yeah. parts of the yeah. world, like where Vikings had an influence, gen- okay. generally yeah. speaking. So uh, the UK, and, so right here, where, yeah, you're, here where you're sitting well. right so now. Viking studies is a is an old discipline at this stage. Yeah, yeah, and it was really in the 18th and 19th century there was a lot of reawakened interest because it, they would add a lot of sort of romantic era type overtones to it and Mm. this is where it gets really interesting because the actual fact of viking history is kind of blended in with that things like wagner the wagner operas and and all of this stuff like uh, and obviously the word viking it's not a medieval term it was only introduced in the 18th century yeah um and yeah in norway would have been in the 19th century because there's a rise in nationalism and you kind of had to start developing a bit of a more more of a national identity and people would tie it back to viking uh, era and these national this is largely because because of the contemporary politics of the time right where norway's trying to break away from sweden or denmark is exactly they would have been in a union with denmark for like 400 years and then in a union with sweden under a swedish king and they started looking marriage looking back to their own like yeah. history and sagas to build something sure. on and that's the same thing also happened in in Sweden of like yeah there's a lot of patriotism going around and because of all the reasons we've already talked about vikings are pretty cool yeah. so yeah. it's yeah. kind of like everyone like, accepts they're very cool like yeah. everyone everyone <laughs> likes the vikings you know? yeah so in this episode we've kind of covered vikings as a general concept and everything leading up to the start of the Viking Age. So in the very next episode, we're going to talk about the actual greatest hits of the <laughs> Viking Age. We're going to go through a quick version of the whole thing beginning to end. And then once we get around to the third episode, we'll be digging in a bit more on the different characters from the TV show. So I've had a great time looking into this. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about sources and things when we get further on in this particular mini series. But 
for now, just go to showswithjuno.com um, for all of our episodes. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are very Do much Do leave us a review and rate. And you can tweet us. What's the Twitter handle? At real underscore history. Isn't that right? Real with two E's. Real with two E's, yes. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on this episode? No, good job, you. Well done. I don't know how much of that was just from your schooling in uh, in Sweden, where you my, just learned this stuff growing up. Yeah, or, my source you know, is I am Swedish. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Authentic. <laughs> uh, no, but I will be handing the ball over to you, and you will be doing most of the talking for the remainder of our Viking episode. <laughs> so I hope you look forward to that. For Actually, now, anyway, that's the end of the reel. <laughs>